Because that's Grubhub's only my second favorite hub. Welcome everyone to the Four Corners Crime Cast. My name is Jake. My name is Katie. And I am your host today, Rory. What? Yeah, I'm hosting this one. We got a Rory, a creepy Rory? Yeah, because Katie really didn't want to read uh, about this guy, and I actually 100% don't blame her. Because he's such a fine fellow? Uh, no. Yeah, I read the first book, and then I said, no, we're not doing an episode on this, and then Rory, six months later, says we should do an episode on this. Rory also spent a stupid amount of money buying these books twice, so... Yeah, even though I told you to just read them on my Amazon account. <laughs> How much money did you spend? I think it was 30 bucks total for the first time, and for some reason, one of the books was fourteen ninety nine when I bought it the second time. What is the subject matter today, Rory? This week, we are talking about a big fat piece of shit named Nathaniel Benjamin Levi... Barjona. Where do you get a name like that? You make it up when you're in a mental asylum. Ah, you just throw names at the wall and see what sticks? No, he wanted to feel the plight of the Jewish people in America. He wanted to know what it felt like to be hated or some shit. I don't know. Just off of his name? Yeah, it was some weird reason, but yeah, so he picked the most... um, Jewish sounding names he could think of. And what, this was in like the 50s, right? When he was born? Yeah, he he was born in the 50s, but he didn't change his name, I think, until the 80s. Okay, so it's like the 80s, and he's changing his name because he's. His crimes happened for, from 1974 on. Like, the man never isn't committing awful fucking crimes from age seven. Or 1964 on. I'm sorry. Yeah, from age seven. This guy age seven. Committing crimes. But Where did you do your research for this one? Oh, man. So the books that are being used in this one are Eat the Evidence. It has a big, long name, but it's the book one of the Barjona trilogy. Uh, a Parasite in the Mind and There Is No Body by Dr. John E. Espy. And then I watched a Most Evil that had an interview with Barjona on it. And Crimes and Trials, The Trial of the Boogeyman, which you actually get a look at Dr. John E. Espy. And that named some awards after him, right? No. And no, those are for Dr. Ray Espin. Uh, those are the words you're thinking about. Um, Dr. John E. Espy is a interesting looking fellow but he was in that documentary crimes and trials trial of the boogeyman and you get a lot of gross fun barjona facts that you just don't want to know about good old john e johnny they've made three books about him one person did three books about this guy yeah he has kind of a flowery writing style where he describes the path that one person would walk in the neighborhood and stuff like that. All right, well, let's get into this creepy Rory. Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona was born February 15, 1957, as David Paul Brown to Philip and Tyra Brown in Worcester, Massachusetts. Were you trying to say Worcestershire? I was. (laughs) What a normal name. 
Wooster? I don't know. They say it weird over there in Massachusetts. But uh, they say everything weird in Massachusetts. Multiple accidents during Tyra's pregnancy led the pregnancy to be called into concern. Tyra started bleeding while she was pregnant, and she was in a car accident. Okay. Tyra started bleeding early into her pregnancy, and then later in her pregnancy, she was in a car accident. But nothing seemed to be out of ordinary. Nothing seemed to be out of order, according to the doctor, and young David Paul and E. Barjona was born a healthy eight-pound baby. Tyra claims that there was nothing too strange about him as a child, just that he was hungry, always crying, and slept more than other children. I, aren't those pretty... Yeah, if your baby is doing that, take it to a doctor, because that's not Wait, if it's normal. hungry... If it's hungry, crying, and sleeps a lot... If it's always hungry and always crying, yes, take your baby to the doctor. Your baby should not cry 24-7. just sounds like a kitten to me. Well, now, it's kind of hard to tell how a baby is doing, but we do know that most most children require human contact and want to be around their parents. But Barjona was different, and his mother notes that he did his best while he was left alone. And he would often stiffen and arch his back when he was picked up. And about six months old, Barjona had a fever for four days before he was taken to the hospital. Which also don't do that. Yeah. I mean, if it's under 100, you know, you got some gray area. Well, upon his arrival, his intake temperature was 106 degrees. After him, after cooling him down with cold water, they sent him home and said he would be fine. Which he was not. You literally cooked his brain. Brain damage, for right? For five days, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe he didn't a, have the fever the whole five days, right? No, he he was he had a fever he for five, he, four days before she took him to the hospital. Huh. Yeah. And then 106 at intake is way too high. That's why they invented, like, children's ibuprofen well yeah no they put they basically put him in a steel drum with uh yeah like holes in it and just cooled him down with cold water with icy cold water when your fever is that high that's usually what they do for you oh the baby swamp cooler yeah and back then they didn't really know what the effects of a they would just kids would come in like this all the time they'd be like oh he'll be fine just take him home keep him cool yeah no they literally cooked his brain <laughs> is it good to take it also for a kid from 106 degrees down to like probably below normal temperatures real quick that seems bad too it's better than your temperature being 106 degrees yeah. yes I'm just saying drop them down well, to 100 for a little while what is it the hypothalamus in your brain when it gets that hot overreacts and will, can give you seizures right katie yeah there's i mean all kinds of stuff that can go wrong with your brain when it's cooking basically the family moved to Florida, and Barjona would spend his first six years there until his father got a job as a heavy machine mechanic back in Massachusetts. Barjona was a strange, chubby child who at five years old had extreme toothaches and would scream for hours about his hurt teeth. His parents would constantly take him to the dentist, who claimed that his teeth were rotting out of his head, and he had to have his mouth lanced in order to make sure his adult teeth were able to poke through. Just tell that fat little kid to put down the Snickers. Well, that's not what it was. Uh, his mom took some sort of drug during her pregnancy, and it caused all the enamel on his teeth to basically not form. Oh, my correctly. God. Yeah. So his mom, okay, so his here's the thing. His mom put him behind the eight ball kind of hard. A little bit. I, I mean, everyone thought that he had a, a hydrocephalic head or some shit like that where his head, he was 
what was known back then as a water baby. Mm-hmm. He had like the, an oddball shaped, large, enlarged head when he was from pictures when he was a child. But yeah, as a, as a child, he had all sorts of weird ailments and stuff, like just random shit from you know being bounced around while he was pregnant to being on his mom being on certain medications. According to his younger brother Bob, Bar Jonah would constantly lie and steal from him. His sister said that she would play mom to him and dress him up, but Bar Jonah didn't really care about anything unless it benefited himself. Like, yeah, sis, I'll let you have that last hot dog if you want to play, if you, or I'll play with you if you let me have that last hot dog. You can dress me up. Just give me a hot dog. At six years old, Bar Jonah was attacked by a random dog that caused him to have to receive extreme treatment for rabies. And in the early 60s, the treatment for rabies was similar to what it is today, but the serum used is now known to cause problems with the frontal lobes of the brain. And the other thing was is that this dog just ripped him apart, and when they took him to the hospital, he just was obsessed with staring at his wounds, claiming that they didn't hurt, and watching them sew up his skin. Did they really not hurt, or he had no pain, uh, high tol- pain tolerance? or We don't know, but a lot of things for him just didn't hurt. He didn't feel pain in certain areas of his body and shit. Like, it was really fucking weird. Also, at six years old, Bar Jonah began picking his skin. It started with scabs, but soon evolved into him picking his skin until it would bleed. He would then eat the scabs and suck his own blood because he liked the salty taste. I mean, that's really just like the kids who eat their boogers because they like the salty taste, right? But the thing was is that he, this continued into adulthood. Like, this continued until he was well into his prison sentence, and the guards would say that they would just watch him and he would sit there and stare at him and pick a whole chunk of skin off of his arm roll it between his fingers while he was watching him and just toss it in his mouth and chew (laughs) yeah like these are hardened prison guards and they're like this is the most disgusting thing i've ever seen in my entire life yeah this was like not equatable to kids picking their nose either picking (laughs) your skin off and eating scabs is like not why eat my cuticles not that's not picking your That's not skin off your of your body. Well, his wounds would fester and start to smell. And he was a kid who did not like to bathe. And he always kind of had a gross smell. But his arms would actually start to stink when he'd pick his scabs. And he was very overweight as a child, too, which did not help. Oh, yeah. Big old fat fatty. He'd be called out by his teachers to his parents about his smell and that his scab picking slash eating was making the other children uncomfortable. No fucking shit. Really? (laughs) There's a kid eating himself in the seat next to me. I think I'm a little uncomfortable. Do you think he ever like leaned over and he was like, hey, you want some? (laughs) Everyone was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) No matter what they did to try and stop him from eating his own scabs and picking his skin, He'd continue to do it. Bar Jonah's parents would tape cotton gloves on his hands and would take him to the doctor where they were told there was nothing they could do medically to help him and their child was just a difficult boy with a nervous habit. And that was their explanation for it. So this just continued on for his entire life, basically. What if he just, like, dipped his hands in, like, citronella oil? That's what they, they tried do for that horses. Too. They literally tried that, too. They taped gloves to his hands, but he would always manage to get them off like a fucking wolverine. <laughs> like a dog with an e-collar? Exactly. 
A few weeks before moving back to Massachusetts, Bar Jonah committed his first act with real evil intention. A neighbor child named Mary came over for a play date after Bar Jonah had told her that he had a Ouija board that would read the future. This fucking kid is six. Seven? What the fuck? Yeah. She was let into the house and headed for the basement where Bar Jonah was playing. A few minutes later, there was a loud commotion from the basement, and Tyra ran down to see her son, red-faced and sweating while choking the neighbor girl. Tyra pulled him off, and Bar Jonah sat on the floor and said he had done nothing wrong and that Mary had put his hands around her throat. He wasn't just, like, choking her, though. He was throttling her. He was moving back and forth while he had to her like while he was trying to choke the life out of her he was basically whipping her head back and forth too and this is a, a five-year-old child later when tyra called the little girl's mother to make sure she was all right the mother made mention that her son should be put down like a dog and if he ever came near mary again she would call the police feels like almost a fair mention yeah i i would i would say it was at eight years old that Bar Jonah worked out his first trap for finding victims. He marched into the kitchen and grabbed the phone book. As he looked through the pages, he wrote down thousands of names, phone numbers, and addresses, and began writing letters to random families, begging for any boys in the house to become his pen pal. And it was at this time that Tyra decided to become his chauffeur, chaperone, and take him anywhere she, he wanted to go, and watch him because she was worried about her son. He was a weirdo, always just eating apples by the dozen, leaving them around the house, uh, lied constantly, stole from everyone. I mean, he would he would steal his brother's marbles and stick them in his mouth. And when his mom would come out and ask, he'd be like, "No, I didn't do it." With marbles still in his fucking mouth, <laughs> like a mouth, like so that you couldn't hear him. He had literally like thirty marbles in his fucking face. Worried about her son, she would take him with her wherever she went. But that did not work out very well. Barjona was an unrepentant thief that would deny his stealing even as he was caught in the act. Okay, so one of the one of the worst things that well one of the things that was most embarrassing to her was that uh they went to a Sears one day and she was over looking at cookware and shit and Barjona just disappeared, wandered off. And she hears over the intercom her call to uh, come to uh, appliances or some shit like that. And they had these wall of toilets. And Barjona <laughs> was literally shitting in a toilet, screaming at his mother to bring him toilet paper. And she ripped him off and took him into the ladies' room and got him all cleaned up. And when they came out, he, the manager was like, your son can never, ever come back here. He's not allowed in here. And when she asked him, what the fuck were you doing? He was, he said, uh, if they didn't want people trying him out, they shouldn't have left him out there. And he laughed as he was getting escorted out of the place. He would literally shove his pockets full of apples while they were at the grocery store and would go be out in the parking lot. And his mom would look down and be like, what's in your pockets? Nothing. And she would like, empty your fucking pockets and pull out of like a handful of apples. He would walk in there put him on the counter with his mom standing right there and she wanted him to tell the manager and he would say don't listen to her she's lying i don't know how they got in there and walk away like at seven eight years old this what dude's a fuck? little fucking psycho already what seven or eight year old has that big of pockets well this guy because he was a big fat kid <laughs> his mom should have sewed his pockets up i think at that that's point. true that one of the other most like 
oddball things to happen was that uh, he was sledding down his uh, driveway or some shit one day, and the garage was only open part way, and he thought he'd be able to stop before he got there, but he didn't. He hit the aluminum garage, and it bent and just ripped his whole leg off and got stuck into the radio flyer, like, all the way down to the bone. It ripped it into, like, this disgusting, meaty chunk, and his dad just happened to be walking out and ran over to him, helped him up, and uh, took him to the hospital, and the hospital staff was like this kid didn't even care like as they were trying to suture him up he was sticking his finger in there and poking his fucking bone and like oh this doesn't hurt blah 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 seemingly not even able to care or feel that there was anything going on with his legs that should have been their their sign like put this kid down yeah that, like that the neighbor right. said put yeah. him down well and he also terrorized nurses like he would literally ask them like the most personal questions so much so that none of them wanted to help him like the doctor got on one of the nurses and was like hey why aren't you guys in there changing this guy's bandage and they're like well kid's really creepy he's like <laughs> he asks about our family and then he will use our family's name later in sentence when he's just making up stories and shit so he was always just a creepy kid that nobody really liked well, given Bart Jonah's background, it's hard to pinpoint when he went through his little ramp period because, as we have stated, he was basically a m attempted murderer since age seven. So some events that we're about to describe from ages 13 to 17 are what get absolutely disgusting and show a burgeoning serial rapist, murderer, pedophile, and all-around fat piece of shit. <laughs> That's just what we're going to go with on this one, all-around fat piece of shit. Yeah. I just want to take a moment and let everyone know that I'm sorry for some of these stories. They're fucking awful. And I hate to give you guys the impression that, that this guy didn't really just like fuck my brain up having to read about this stuff. Because uh, it did. And if you are kind of sensitive to abuse of children, maybe just end the podcast here and go listen to the Aladdin soundtrack or watch Lion King. Something that, you know, gives you that nostalgic comfort that people enjoy when they're upset if there's someone who has those feelings there's a decent chance they've skipped half of our episodes this is also true but this just... is like worst of the worst i yeah. think this is one of the worst people we've ever covered and yeah. i am so glad i'm not doing it yeah you're welcome <laughs> i said no this is not me i 100 percent. i said no we're not doing an episode on this and rory said let's do an episode so Rory said in his brain, you spent $69 on books for this one. We might as well do an episode on them. So my frugality has been my downfall once again. Actually, this is the first time I've ever been frugal about anything in my life. So. Enjoy your nightmares. Yeah, no, it's not good. I can't wait to... I haven't even finished the last book yet, so... This is definitely going to be a two-parter, by the way. <laughs> if it wasn't, it is now. It's going to be a two-parter, maybe a three-parter, because uh, there is a lot to this story, and it just needs to be done. Well, let's just wrap it up now, then, so we don't have to hear all this. Okay. No. <laughs> all right. Here we go. A neighbor boy by the name of Bobby Patterson is one of Barjona's first sexual assault victims. Shortly after his 13th birthday, Barjona thought he would try sledding again. But a snowy-covered hill by the cemetery wasn't the only thing he had his eye on that day. He went to one of his neighbor's houses and asked if their six-year-old son, Bobby, would want to come sledding with him. 
not really understanding the situation and surprised that one of the older boys wanted to hang out with him, Bobby convinced his mother to let him go with Bart Jonah. They dragged their sleds down the street and up the hill that was near the cemetery, and as they reached the top, Bart Jonah pulled his sled off to some bushes, surrounded by trees, telling Bobby that he had to pee. A few minutes went by, and Bart Jonah called for Bobby to come check out the treed area where he was. Bobby got to where Bar Jonah was. He found him sitting on his sled. When he got close, Bar Jonah grabbed him and threw him onto his sled and sat on him, using his fat and weight to hold him down. For real? Yeah. Bar Jonah pulled his pants down, stood up, and forced his penis into the boy's mouth. Bobby struggled against the large boy but was overpowered. Bar Jonah ejaculated into the boy's mouth and pushed him onto the ground. Bobby ate handfuls of snow to try and wash his mouth out. Bar Jonah stood up, threatened Bobby not to tell anyone, and told the young boy to wipe his face and stop crying as he left. One of the more fucked up things about this is the, they interviewed the guy who this happened to later on, and the thing that he has nightmares about, about is the beef jerky-looking chunk of leg that Bar Jonah had in his face like he remembers it like super vividly and he's like it keeps me up at night and, oh what well he had his he got a chunk of his leg all fucked up when he went sledding oh and so this kid described it in detail what it looked like because it's the thing that like stuck out to him the most about that day was this big chunk of beef jerky leg and it's just so it like that in the book that little story is like a page long like it's it's there's nothing to it it's just they just get right down to it and just drop that on you in like the first i don't know five chapters of the book and you're like dear uh, fuck i don't want to read any more of this but you do for the podcast and this was like a big part of his mo was using his weight to hold his victims down he would sit on their chest and he continues to do this for basically the rest of his life yeah I mean, and you can you can see him now kind of just developing his M.O. on how he can get people to trust him and shit. It's it's really weird because he's still technically a kid. He's like 13 years old. So, yeah, it's super fucked up and weird to do to a six year old kid, too, when you're that age. Like, well, when you're any age. But yeah, for someone that young to have that kind of even like mind set. He's just like, this kid is weaker than me. Bar Jonah attempted the same tactic a few more times in his own neighborhood with a few of the younger kids. Two boys narrowly escaped the same fate when one of them got a bad feeling as Bar Jonah was leading them to a cemetery. He had been watching these kids like ride their bikes around the neighborhood and hang out, and one of the kids had just gotten a new gold bike for his birthday, so they put some baseball cards in the spokes and were riding up and down the street and... 14-year-old Bar Jonah comes outside and like says, hey, you guys want to see a real cool place to go check out? We'll head up to the cemetery, and I'll show you where all the cool headstones are. And so the kids start following them, and the older of the two, they're both like 10-year-olds, but the older of the two looked over and said, I can hear my mom calling us. We have to go back. And the other kid's like, no, you don't. We're like four blocks away from your house. He's like, no, I heard her. Let's go. So they whip their bikes around, and... They were just riding away. They rode away, 
and Bar Jonas just screams at him from the middle of the street, like, come back, come back, I wanted to show you something. Later on, he admits to that he was planning on killing both of these kids, one in front of the other, um, just like bashing their skull in or fucking choking them to death and then sitting on the other one until he asphyxiated. If he had tried that, he probably would have gotten caught and maybe things would have been different because... Well, he gets caught multiple times and it doesn't even fucking matter, but we'll get into that. So he then does something like really crazy. He sees a movie where the guy's like, there's a ransom note in it and he gets this idea that he's going to write a note for the neighbor kids that live across the street. There's two of them. He writes two notes and he comes over, rings the doorbell and there are two notes out there and the mom answers the door intercepts both of the notes and takes them to the kids and like oh you guys got invited to a party or something and one of the kids opens the note doesn't really get what's going on so she takes it and she's absolutely infuriated by what she reads the notes were put together with letters clipped from magazines and the note reads meet me in the Baker's Grove Cemetery at 6pm and something good will happen to you I will give you $20 a piece and don't tell your mother and father about it. The mom just lost her shit and marched across the street and slammed on the her neighbor's door. Barjona answers, and when the boy's mother asked for Tyra, Barjona said she wasn't home, but Tyra literally shouted from the kitchen asking who it was, and Barjona screamed back with this woman still in the doorway, that it was no one, it was a salesman, and he would get rid of him. Well, boy's mom didn't really accept that and <laughs> yelled for Tyra to come to the door. Bar Jonah just sort of pushed past her and walked down the street. He's like, oh, fuck it, I'm yeah. out. And when Tyra got to the door, the boys and mother let her know that this is wildly inappropriate, and if she saw Bar Jonah near her house again, she wouldn't be responsible for what happened to him. She was a smart lady because Barjona literally later said it like when he was in the mental hospital, he said something like uh, that was a poor family and they had seven kids. So I figured if I got rid of the two youngest, that'd be two less mouse for them to feed. Yeah. So Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So like, well, here's the thing is that his mom did enroll him in all sorts of church shit. So he legitimately thought that God had a plan for him and that he was special in some way. But he got – one of the things that's kind of funny is that he got mixed up. He would he'd watch sci-fi movies and shit, and he would mix them up with scripture all the time and then would argue with his scripture teachers, about his <laughs> Sunday school teachers, about a quote from maybe like some bullshit sci-fi movie or Dracula. J.R.R. Tolkien. No, quote. and Dracula was his favorite. Like he – he honestly thought that he could be a Dracula and he would confuse Dracula with the Bible and would quote Dracula quotes of his teacher and shit. He probably would have loved Rob Zombie. Probably. But so he's, he's like really active in the church. He's a church going boy. He's a good Christian. He believes. Which is not a good place for him because he's surrounded by children. Yes. There are children in churches. When Barjona was 17, his father died at home and was discovered when Tyra and Barjona returned from a church service. An ambulance was dispatched to the house and quickly drove to the hospital with Barjona and his mother speeding right behind it. 
Philip was pronounced dead at the hospital, leaving Tyra alone to have to deal with her son. Why did he die? He had a heart attack, I believe. I don't know. His face was really blue when they got there, so... Didn't poor Jonah, like, brush it off, too? I feel like I remember that, but I could be wrong. He, he didn't really uh, brush it off. He was really weird about the dead body, apparently. Like, he was very excited when they were doing the, sh- the viewing and kept trying to sneak down into the morgue, kept asking the mortuary workers how they kept a body fresh and where what was the best way to do that could he help him balm his father oh uh, man he would he, they they were so concerned about it that they actually wanted to kick barjona out because he would go up and he would like touch his dad's hand like move it around and like touch his eyes and like try to open them and stuff like he was really fucking weird and they were like we are so glad this is over and that you guys are not coming back here Right? Be like, for all your funeral needs, next time, try somebody else. Yeah, well, Tyra being alone with her son is probably the worst thing that ever happened. It doesn't go well for anyone. And it's around this time that Barjona starts developing his kidnapping M.O. He buys a police windbreaker and badge and decides to test out his new idea after dropping his mother off at work. Barjona drives across town towards his school, and a young child catches his eye. Barjona, wearing his, police ja- wearing his police jacket and badge, pulls his car in front of the child and jumps out. Telling this kid that he is a police officer and his mother is hurt, he ushers the boy into his car and drives off. He was spotted by a neighbor who immediately calls the police. But Barjona speeds down the road to an empty store parking lot and demands the boy remove his clothes. The boy refuses and Barjona grabs him by the throat and starts to shake his head violently until the boy almost passes out. He then unbuttons the struggling boy's pants and wraps his hand around the boy's penis and testicles and squeezes as hard as he can until the boy is about to literally slip unconscious. Screaming and crying, the boy loses control of his bowel and urinates and defecates in Tyra's car on Barjona's hand and all over himself. This infuriates Barjona, who then starts to strangle the boy until he's about to pass out, lets go, and repeats the process. The boy tries to vomit, but Barjona tightens his grip on the boy, and the boy starts to turn blue. He was aspirating on his own vomit. When Barjona realizes this, he momentarily releases the boy's throat and allows him to vomit on the floor of Tyra's car. The boy had blood coming from his nose and eyes. His face was bruised and beginning to swell. Luckily, at this moment, a patrol car driving past sees the sees Barjona's car and recognizes that it may be the one reported earlier. The officer rips his car into the parking lot with the lights on and pulls up next to Barjona. He screams at the driver to exit the vehicle as two more squad cars pull up. Barjona yells out the window to not hurt him and that he did nothing wrong. As he gets out of the car, police officers tackle him and slam slam him into the back of the squad car, while a young female officer approaches the car to check on the child. The boy is alive but not in great shape. He was taken to the hospital, and three days later, when he he was released, his eyes were still engorged with blood, and he had a hard time talking due to the damage done to his throat. Barjona was taken to the police station and charged with felony kidnapping, assault and battery, and sexual assault of a minor. Being a minor himself, Barjona had them call his mother, but not before saying that he had taken too long with the boy and should have killed him and kicked him out of the car into a ravine. He was released to Tyra, who checked him into a hospital to treat him for the quote-unquote blackouts 
that happened when he attacked the child. So he was claiming that he didn't remember it? Well, he made... The fucked up thing was that he made claims about it and basically admitted to doing it, but then claimed he blacked out. But if you blacked out, you don't remember that when you come to. You don't tell them these things. So, the kid doesn't know that. No, but he, he claims he blacked out. Liar. Mm-hmm. Fuck this guy. Barb Jonah checked into the hospital on April 4th, 1975, under the care of Dr. Arnold, who believed he could actually help Bar Jonah. Dr. Arnold ordered a brain scan, a new tech that the hospital just so happened to have. These machines are not like the x-rays that were used to see damage to the brain itself, but were made to see how the metabolic functions of the brain were working and to see what, what areas were lacking functional ability. Barjona took the test, and the doctors reported that there were no abnormalities when it came to brain function. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be until years later that the researchers discovered that the isotopes used in the process were tagging the wrong molecules in the brain, and that the actual results were three to five points lower than the mean average, meaning Barjona had barely functioning frontal lobes and has very little ability to understand right and wrong in the moment and couldn't foresee consequences to his actions. Even worse, he was not able to control his rage towards children. But after 18 days in psychiatric care, Barjona had gotten a plea deal and received one year of probation. Just, what the fuck, Massachusetts? Like, for strangling and almost killing a kid. Yeah, for all those charges. Aggravated kidnapping, uh, sexual, sexual assault of a minor, minor, and... Battery, I think. Yeah, assault. assault and battery, yeah. He was out in time to uh, graduate with his high school class, so... How the fuck? How are you going to let the kid walk when he almost killed someone? Never mind. doesn't yeah. matter. Before his graduation, though, Bar Jonah would add another victim to his list. A nine-year-old girl was riding her bike down the street from her home in Hartford, Connecticut, when she was stopped by a fat, dumpy piece of shit dressed as a police officer, complete with a badge. Bar Jonah? He pulled up and ordered her into his car, saying, Your mother is hurt. I need you to come right away. She immediately drops her bike on the sidewalk and ran to Barjona, who set her in the front seat. As soon as they pulled away, though, Barjona began to pummel the crying child, who was so concerned about her mother that she jumped in a stranger's car. He swung his right fist into her face over and over again until the girl began to seize and convulse. After she wet her pants and vomited all over herself, Barjona pulled onto the sidewalk and violently shoved the young girl onto the concrete. He drove away, but luckily, another car had witnessed him dumping the girl and copied his license plate. As the driver approached the little girl, their heart dropped when the screaming child looked towards them. The child's lip had a barely hanging on tooth shoved completely through it. Her face was swollen to the point that it didn't look like half of it was there. She was taken to the hospital where her mother was called. She told the police everything she could remember, which they said was like she was at nine years old, basically a professional, describing everything that he had done, everything that he looked like, and she hit everything that pointed towards him. So she remembered not long after Barjona was arrested. But the mother was so afraid for her, chi- for her and her child that she did not let her kid testify. And Bar Jonah slipped through the cracks again, literally just in time 
to walk with his class for high school graduation. And somehow, no one remembered to report this to his probation officer. Right, because that would be like automatic probation fail, I think. Oh, it's such a violation. Yeah, so. What the fuck? (sighs) At this point, Barjona was accepted into some bullshit Bible college, but he is a fat, pompous piece of shit. And said bullshit Bible college kicked his dumb, fat, ugly, righteous, scab-eating ass out. <laughs> so he blamed them. Yeah, they wouldn't have me. Yeah. Well, at this time, he's forced to move back with his mother. But one of the things that got him kicked out was that he had, one, shitty grades. Two, he was like a night watchman and had cut his head open on uh, like a la- low-hanging ladder or something. And so he was sitting there sewing his own cut up and some kid walked in and was like holy fuck and he was like can't even feel it you want to give it a tug and freaked the kid out so the kid went and told the dean and then bar jonah showed up to class or church class i don't know where the bishop was presiding and he was wearing just a white t-shirt and some shorts and the guy was like well at least some people know how to dress for church so he left came back with a tie drawn onto his shirt and sat in the front row and stared at him. And so they're like, no, you're an insubordinate piece of shit. You can go back and live with your mother. Yeah, I mean, those are private colleges. They don't have to fucking deal with anyone's bullshit. No. At this point, five foot seven Bar Jonah is 390 pounds. He is a short, fat piece of shit. So when he sits around the house... He sits around the house. (laughs) On September 24th, 1977, Barjona told his mom he needed to borrow her car to go hang out with his friends. Did he even fit in a car at this point? Did he even have friends? I'm sure Tyra was like, um, what friends, (laughs) honey? that's, That's literally what she thought. She thought it was real strange because he didn't have a single friend. But... And even after a few times of getting her car back, caked in blood, urine, and shit, Tyra agreed to let him borrow her car, and Barjona went and gathered his police jacket, a duffel bag, a hunting knife rolled in some underwear, an oily rope he had found on the road, and two pairs of handcuffs that he didn't have keys for, and placed them into his mother's car. So he's a recycler, he's a repurposer. Sure. (laughs) Now, at this time, Bar Jonah had started a toy collecting business and ran that business at the local flea market, displaying his wares to young boys and their parents with a sign advertising for his babysitting service above the display table. You think if you walk into a place like that and you see this guy, five foot seven, 390 pound dumpy piece of shit. Yeah. And he's obviously he's got stains on his shirt and holes and he's. He's just like, yeah, I got, I've got babysitting service. It's hard I do to it find. All day. One of his favorite quote, quotes to tell uh, parents was, "It's hard to find good babysitters these days." <laughs> Apparently, which is not surprising, he was very good with children, and a lot of people trusted him because they would. He take... was good with young boys. Yeah, well, yeah, but they would take their kid to go see him, and he would give them toys and be super nice, and they were, so he knew how to get people to trust him. And leave their children in his care, basically. Yeah. This dude's so hideous that if you Google image him, there's literally less than a page of results. Yeah, he's disgusting. 
Barjona decided that behind that flea market would be the best place for him to enact his plan. He set up his canopy behind the flea market away from the road facing away from the rear parking lot. Satisfied with how his plan was shaping up, he went to work. Now, Barjona worked a few hours a night as a relief manager for some company. And so this is like 2 o'clock, he decides he needs to go into work, and by 10 o'clock he's out. Barjona, now dressed as a police officer, cruised past the theater in Shrewsbury when he spotted two 13-year-old boys and sped his car in front of them, flashed his badge, and demanded their names. What kind of car did he have? A green Belvedere. So it didn't look that much like... Well, I guess back then cops didn't... All detectives had... had... And that's what he'll see. So he actually uh, flashed his badge, demanded their names, Billy and Alan told him their names, and Barjona told them to get into his undercover police car. (laughs) They, of course, complied. And as Barjona began lecturing the boys on the dangers of being out this late at night, 10 p.m., Barjona, out of nowhere, crushed Alan's nose with a hard punch to the face. And the two boys are absolutely fucking freaking out at this point. And Barjona, driving the crying boys to a secluded dirt road, slapped the handcuffs on them with their hands behind their back, and then drove them back to the canopy tent he had put up behind the flea market. He parked the car with the back door near the flap and tossed the boys into the back of the tent. He tied them together and to the canopy's aluminum frame and demanded they take their clothes off if they wanted to live. With their hands tied up? Yeah, I don't get how he thought that was going to happen. The boys refused, and this only made Barjona lose his shit and forget the plan he had come up with. He slaps one of them, I think it was Alan, and throws them on top of each other into the back seat of his car and sped off, absolutely screaming at the boys for ruining everything. They're like, yeah, real sad that I did. Well, they kept asking him if they were going to live. Please let him go. And this just annoyed the shit out of him. But Barjona drove the boys to a secluded road and pulled Alan out of the car by his hair. Barjona wrapped his hands around the boy's throat and began to throttle him. He backhanded the boy and knocked him to the ground and kicked him numerous times before sitting on his chest and bouncing up and down as the boy started to lose consciousness. 390 pounds bouncing up and down on this 13-year-old kid's chest. Yeah. Barjona gets off Alan and walks back to the car where Billy had just witnessed the abuse of his best friend. Barjona attempts to squeeze Billy's throat hard enough to break his neck. And as the boy goes limp and Barjona is pulling Billy out of the back of the car, Alan regains consciousness and sees the limp body of his friend callously shoved in the trunk of his attacker's car. He waits a few minutes and runs to the nearby campground. Alan manages to make it to the door of the manager of the campground, who calls the police. Upon arrival, the officer comforts Alan and puts out an APB to all officers with a description of Barjona and his vehicle. So now Barjona is freaking out, and as he's driving away from the scene, he realizes he's fucked up by leaving the body of Alan in the open. Because he thought he was dead? Mm Mm-hmm. He turns around... And seconds later, a state trooper spots his car and lights him up. Barjona half-ass attempts to run, but the state trooper forces him off the road into some bushes and pulls his gun out, demanding Barjona exit the vehicle. As backup arrives, the troopers cuff Barjona and hear screaming from the trunk of the car. Billy was handcuffed, beaten, scared shitless, but alive. 
Barjona was arrested and held on a $50,000 bond. Before his trial, Barjona underwent a psychological evaluation where after 30 minutes, Dr. Stephen Cronin had this to say about Barjona. He clearly acknowledges that he has trouble controlling his impulses toward young boys. He also acknowledges that two years prior to these charges, he was arrested on similar ones. There is no evidence to support the possibility that he enters any type of disassociative state. His view of himself is quite fragmented. Although he lacks the glib social facility stereotypically associated with so psychopaths, there is considerable evidence to suggest a primary diagnosis of psychopathic personality. He has never internalized a set of well-developed moral rules by which he lives. His interactive ability is weak, and he does not easily articulate the consequences of his actions. His behavior is quite impulsive. Despite his psychopathic tendencies, his ego function has other features more typically associated with borderline personality. Among these features are his poor, defended, raw, oral, aggressive impulses. His characteristic modes of behavior have resulted in a failure to crystallize into a more integrated personality structure. He feels he has shamed his mother. He also has never successfully separated psychologically from early familial objects and longs to remain tied to them forever. His therapy should focus on getting him to experience guilt and develop a more adaptive conscience. Did he have any conscience at all, you think? I doubt it. I, I think he's so far gone, but that's, that's actually where we're going to stop this week, guys. We will be back next week with part two. Unfortunately. No, unfortunately, but yeah, I do want to talk about... I, I want to say that Massachusetts is really trying to prove that this guy is just a crazy person and not a criminal for whatever fucking reason. I, I, I don't understand it. Like, where did Massachusetts go wrong in this, Katie? Um, I think this was probably back before there was a lot of work put into a lot of research put into sexually violent predators. This is obviously before all the laws came into place, but very difficult to prove that someone is dangerous. And so they don't really have anything to go off of. You can't say, well, he did this and I know in 10 years he's going to do it again. So he needs to go away forever. If you take that in front of a courtroom, they're going to basically laugh you out of the room. The only way we can predict violence is in a very short time frame, and even now, we have no way to predict it in a long-term scale. So they, number one, couldn't really prove that they needed to keep him locked up, and number two, um, we didn't have computers. Yeah, I guess that is a big And big so point. I think, especially later on, as he starts moving around, nobody really knew about any of his past crimes and no one was reporting to his probation officers which is a fuck up on the police department's fault and I think makes him slightly culpable. I just I think it's weird that uh, people can't really during this time don't really understand crime to that point yet where they're just like oh fuck this dude's crazy he likes kids so they are more accepting of it as a mental disorder rather than it as a criminal action. It seems like they're just trying to boil it down to like, oh, well, he never actually developed. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's understandable. This this guy's pretty spot on with his 30-minute diagnosis on the guy, though, yeah, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, this was, you technically could say, a mental disorder because he didn't fully develop because there is something that is wired incorrectly in there that's not allowing him to understand that it is wrong to do this. Plus, they fried his brain for five days. Exactly. So I think that combined with the accident when Tyra was pregnant and whatever drug she was taking, so just turned him his brain to mush, and he has no way of actually ever being a normal person. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think if she had taken steps when he was younger to maybe steer him in a better direction... It could have helped, but he has been attracted to children since he was a child himself, since he was six years old, and there's no way that's so ingrained in him for whatever reason that there's no way that you could ever change that about him. Oh, yeah, no, he... I think this does boil down a lot to impulse control because, you know, people get intrusive thoughts. Most people don't get intrusive thoughts about murdering children and shit, but... I'm sure there is something out there along those lines. And I, I think once he gets a thought in his brain, that's it. He's either going to follow through with it or forget it. Well, and most people stop, like, you know, stop at intrusive thoughts. But if you act on them, then they probably eventually just get bigger and bigger and bigger until you're just killing kids. Yeah. But uh, I think that's going to do it for this week, guys. Uh, we will be, like I said, we will be back with Barjona Part 2. Next week. I'm sorry. Don't sound so excited. Yeah, you we chose this life. Honestly, there's so much more horrible shit coming. Like, what the fuck? Why is this guy so fucking awful, disgusting? Like, they don't even. They only. He's only arrested for one confirmed victim. Victim. Like, that's it. Like, come yeah. on. Like, fuck. This guy is so gnarly. Was, you can delete this. Did you intentionally gloss over the part where he? Or, like, skip over the part where he said that he was sexually assaulted as a, as a child? Or is that later? Oh, when he's in the hospital and he made up the story about, about how he, he was raped. He was raped and he had to watch his as they tried to light his best friend on fire. Yeah. And that he was an Eagle Scout and stopped all this. Yeah, I did because, well, that's actually later when okay. he's at Bridgewater. But the thing is, his mom, they, the guy writing the book asked his mom, he's like, no, that's all fucking bullshit. He was never an Eagle Scout, and he never had any fucking friends. I couldn't remember if that was later or if you just skipped over it because it's just so wildly untrue. No, it's it's later when he's at Bridgewater, which is actually where he's about to go. That's where okay. we start out we'll next week. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Okay. All right, guys. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F O U R corners crimecast at gmail.com you can find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash four corners crimecast on instagram at four corners crimecast on twitter at four corners cast and at four corners crimecast at tumblr.com and don't forget give us a rate and review on apple podcast follow us on spotify and check out our website four corners crimecast.com head over there for a mostly full episode list to send us ideas for an episode that you might want to hear or to get your free sticker from our merch store by typing in the code Bingo Bango at checkout. We will ship it out to you 100% for free. So this week, uh, try to block out this episode from your brain as best you can. And we will see you next week for part two. Talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, mamas.
These are fairly famous sayings. Do you guys not have like old man sex sayings where you're from? 